0: Welcome to the second sermon in our series, Fear Not. Uh, In this series, we are looking at what the Bible tells us about fear, about what the Bible tells us about being afraid, and we are going to see how being a Christian should affect this area of our lives. Today, we're going to talk about a particular situation where we might feel afraid. Uh, We're going to talk about how we feel when people dismiss, when people criticise or mock what we believe. In fact, you could call today's message, what should you do when someone mocks, dismisses, or criticises what you believe? Now, in answering that question, uh, we are going to, to learn about a Christian response to persecution. But we are also going to learn about principles that apply in all situations where we face something tough. We have a hard time. Now... Currently, we live in an age where we receive a lot of negative attention because of what we believe. There is always that risk that people are going to react badly to us because of what we believe. We are blessed to, to live in a country where there is freedom of speech, where we can say and we can think what we want. But unfortunately, what we say and what we want doesn't always match up with what other people say, what other people want and what other people think. In fact, sometimes people will say stuff and sometimes people think stuff that is downright offensive to us. And they can express themselves in a way that makes us feel absolutely tiny, in a way that is designed to belittle us, that is designed to hurt us. And we can feel bad. Sometimes it can make us feel afraid, it can make us fear for our social standing, Especially when it's our friends who are saying these sorts of things. It can make us worry about our jobs when it's our colleagues or when it's our, you know, our managers that are saying these things. And it can make us worry about our freedom. It can make us worry about our freedom when it's people in government or it's members of parliament which are calling Christianity dangerous or outdated. When I was a kid, I was terrified of people criticising my faith. People said stuff that hurt. People made comments that really cut deep. I watched a lot of TV, still do, uh, and I saw Christians over and over again being portrayed as as stuck up, as bigoted, uh, or as killjoys. And it made me cringe inside, because that was part of me that those guys were insulting. I felt alienated from the rest of society, I felt weird, I felt different. I think there are three ways that we often respond to that. Um, Three ways that we often respond when we face persecution or, or someone coming up against us because of our faith. The first is we respond in anger. This is what I like to call the slash their tires approach. In fear we lash out. We say something to get our own back. They mock us, they mock the things that are important to us, we do it back to them. We get our own back with with a withering remark that makes them feel tiny, and restores me, in my own opinion, to my former height. It can be so tempting to do that, can't it? It can feel so satisfying to get your own back. But in the end, you just end up being a bit of a twit. um, And you end up hurting someone for your own benefit. And that's not really very right, is it? The second way people often respond is is by running away. Uh, Getting the heck out of there. Now this is the Tim Norman approach. This is my response. When people bring up religion and are negative about it and make me feel uncomfortable... I get out of there faster than the speed of light. I suddenly remember that oh, I had to do this really urgent job, so I'm just going to have to just just leave and go do that. Uh, or I decide that you know it's really best that we we discuss this at another time, at another place. A workplace isn't really the best place for it. Um, and then I spend the rest of my life avoiding that person and never giving them any opportunity to bring up that topic again. This doesn't usually work because eventually you end up backed into a corner and having to have the conversation that you're avoiding, having to listen to what people say, and you spent your whole life running away and you don't know how to respond. The third option, also one of my favourites, is the panic uncontrollably. Like a deer caught in the headlights, you just panic and you do something completely unpredictable. You know, I cannot even begin to tell you the number of stupid things I have said in my life, and the number of stupid things that I have said in particular while doing street evangelism when someone has not liked what I've had to say. Honestly, it's a wonder that the police haven't picked me up for acting weirdly in public. Generally, this response ends up your face going red, mumbling something completely incoherent and bizarre and just defaulting to the running away approach anyway. But whatever reaction you have, whether or not it's anger, running away, panicking or, or something else, generally speaking, you end up feeling down anyway. You end up being irritable, you end up stressed. because. Anger, running away, panicking—just rarely makes things better. It, it's a short-term solution, based on fear, based on stress. It, it rarely gains you respect in other people's eyes, and it doesn't get away from the fear that remains in your heart. I mean, I don't know. You might be a, a robot, and able to absorb all these comments with with a gentle smile on your face, as if it doesn't affect you. In that case, your solution is simple. Just destroy the other guy with your laser eyes or something. But the rest of us don't have that privilege. We do have the truth. In 1 Peter 3.13 it says, If someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. The Bible does encourage us to to know the answer to questions, to, to give honest answers, to tell the truth. Sometimes people just aren't interested in the truth. Sometimes people ask us stuff in order to make us feel rubbish. Sometimes people say stuff just to criticise. Just to try and win an argument. And it can make us afraid to to step back into the office. Step back into school. Even step back into a family gathering. Because we are afraid that we're going to be mocked again. And for all of us who aren't robots, what do we do in those situations? Now, we are fortunate that there is a lot of biblical wisdom on this sort of stuff. Throughout history, you see, it's not been exactly popular to follow God. Even in you know periods of history where things have looked more Christian, Those people who have honestly tried to follow God in every area of their lives have come up against a lot of problems. They have been criticised, slandered and accused. And life in the early church in the first century, 2000 years ago, was no different. As the Christian faith grew, it experienced Roman opposition. It experienced uh, societal opposition. Religious opposition. Literally, in all fields of life, Christianity was opposed. We we, we spoke a couple of weeks ago about how John the Baptist um, spoke the truth out to King Herod, and he lost his life because of it. That's an extreme example at the very sort of beginning of the Christian story. But actually, it's it's not that unique. I mean, not everyone was killed. But persecution was something that the early church had to deal with all the time, and the apostle Paul, uh, in the first century, wrote to the Christians living in Philippi, uh, to Christians that were facing persecution every day, that lives whose lives were being made tougher, and he gave them some advice. This is what he said: Philippians four. Verses four to seven, reading from the NLT translation. Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. Remember, the Lord is coming soon. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Jesus Christ. What's the advice that Paul gives to the people of Philippi, to the Christians at Philippi who are facing persecution? He tells them to cheer up. Now this is a bit of a a surprising thing for him to say, Um, but, But a Christian response to persecution, a Christian response to fear, according to Paul, is to do the utterly unexpected. It is to do the opposite of what comes naturally. It is to, one, be joyful, to two, be gentle or considerate, or three, stop worrying so much. In a world that is utterly depressing, the Philippians have been told to have joy. In a world where people were were treating them unfairly, they were told to be gentle and considerate in return. In a world where they felt fear every day, they were told to chill out. Two thoughts come to mind immediately. Um, Either Paul has forgotten what the Philippians are going through, or he is an inconsiderate jerk. Consider Exhibit A. You return home from your work one day. You have had a great day. Everything has gone swimmingly um, and you come home and you think, ah, oh, now I can relax. So you, you, you sit down, you put your feet up, turn the telly on, glass of wine in your hand or, or maybe a beer or a non-alcoholic Christian alternative uh, and you just relax. At that moment, your spouse walks in. Your spouse has not had a good day. I mean, it has been rubbish. They have been treated unfairly, terribly by colleagues, uh, by uh, by customers. And actually they are afraid they're going to lose their job. That's how bad it is. Now you, being a sensitive soul, you listen. You're caring. You love this person. So you listen carefully to what they have to say. But you are also an academic. And you know what Paul said in Philippians 4, and you think, you know what, this is relevant to the situation. So you look, you look a spouse straight in the eye and you say, "Come down, cheer up. How do you think they would respond? Now, speaking from personal experience here, I can tell you, generally they won't respond well. I would be very surprised if you slept in your own bed that night, and perhaps at that point you should start taking note of some reasonably priced lawyers. Now Paul never married, so he he never learned that probably that's not the smartest thing to do. That perhaps in that situation your spouse might accuse you of not taking their problems seriously, uh, of of trying to oversimplify matters and it's not that easy. But Paul perhaps never learned those things, and he just dives straight in there and says, always be full of joy in the Lord, like he's trying to sell some motivational fridge magnet. Now fortunately, fortunately for Paul's sake, that's not all he says. In fact, it's a little unfair the way I presented him there. That's just the way what he says initially comes across, because that is what he tells us to do. He does tell us to be joyful, gentle and to stop worrying so much but it's not all that he says he doesn't just tell us to be joyful and gentle and calm in the face of fear he tells us why he reassures us he encourages us and he gives us a reason he gives us a reason to do the unexpected to be reasonable and calm in the face of adversity. In fact, he gives us two reasons. The first can be found in verse five. Just after he has recommended that we deal with that stuff, he says, "Remember, the Lord is coming soon," or as the ESV translation puts it, "The Lord is at hand." Now. Partially, what this is saying is that we need to be nice because that's what Jesus wants us to be like. Uh, And why do we have to do what he wants? Well, because he's coming back and he's going to check. It's kind of the equivalent of the phrase, Jesus is coming, look busy. You'll know that if you uh, have watched any Johnny English films. But it is also a reminder, a reminder that, that Jesus' return The fact that Jesus is coming back should affect how we feel right now. You see, Christianity teaches us that Jesus is coming back, that he is going to gather his people, Christians, to himself. He's going to inflict judgment on the world and bring justice to it. And then he's going to make everything perfect. And this should bring us great joy. Even in hard times, in fact, especially in hard times, this should bring us joy because no matter how much we are mocked no matter how much we are thrown in jail no matter how much we are killed we have a joy we have a hope which cannot be killed christ is returning He is gathering his people to himself and he is making all things new that is a truth that cannot be taken away from us the suffering that we have on this earth that's only temporary. It's hard, it's so hard, and we shouldn't play that down. But ultimately, there is a light at the end of the tunnel. And when we see the suffering that we experience now in view of the fact that Christ is returning, then though it's still difficult, though it's still miserable, there is a spark of hope and it is no longer overwhelming. The second reason that Paul gives us, is in verse six or seven. He says this, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Now we live In a world that is rubbish. But that doesn't mean we just have to suck it up and deal with it. When we experience fear, when we're afraid, we don't just have to man up. We don't just have to push through. There's a better option. We can take it to God. Because every single day, God's people have the privilege of going before him and taking their troubles. And that includes when people mock, dismiss or criticise us for our faith. You know, prayer makes sense because God is powerful. We fail, okay? We crumble. God doesn't. The fears uh, that make us feel afraid, our darkest fears, they don't make him scared. When we are insulted, when we are mocked, God is not defeated. He does not lie awake worrying about what Dave from accounting put on Facebook. We can trust those things to him. We can trust his sovereignty over these matters and leave them in his hands. Prayer makes sense because God listens. You know, he's not an absent God. He didn't just give us a bunch of commands and then go away for a couple of thousand years and say, I'll be back to check that you did them. No, his spirit is with us and we can enter his presence right now. We can take our fears to him and he will listen. And prayer makes sense because of what God has already done. You know, when we pray, we're not meant to just ask for stuff that we want. We're meant to say thank you for the ways that God has blessed us in the past. And as we do that, we remember that he can also bless us in the future. When we pray, we recognize that God can do stuff because He has done stuff. So, because Christ listens to us now, and because He is coming back, we can live in joy, gentleness, and peace. We can be comfortable, no matter how sinister the situation, because we are resting in the arms of the Saviour. Now, there are two really important ways that we can live this out. First of all, are you praying? When you face fear or or persecution or, or trying times, are you praying? Christianity is not about what we can do, yet when we face trouble we often act as if we have to solve it all by ourselves. When we face persecution, we act as if we have to shoulder the burden alone. We do not. We have Christ by our side, and he asks us to give these things to him in prayer. It doesn't mean anything fancy. It just means going to Jesus each day and telling him about what's going on. It means telling him about the things that are fearful. Out loud or in our mind, in a quiet space. It means crying in his presence, being honest about all the worries. It means telling him when following him is making your life difficult. It means telling him when life is hard. You don't have to pretend everything is fine. You're allowed to feel bad. It's okay. Just take it to the Lord in prayer. Let me encourage you today to get into a daily rhythm of prayer. Find a time for yourself, morning, afternoon, evening, when you can give time to praying over the, these sorts of things. When You can take time praying over everything. Then when trouble arises, when things get difficult, you already have that time and place when you are going to him. And it'll come naturally to you. Secondly, in all areas of your life, live in a way that is joyful, gentle, and has peace. When you face persecution and trouble in each area of your life, respond in joy, gentleness, and peace. Now, I have a very particular situation in mind here, a very particular place. Because there is a place that is the exact opposite of joy, of gentleness, of peace. It is a place where there is a lot of laughing, but there's no joy. It's a place where there is a lot of discussion of morality, but there's no gentleness. Where loads and loads and loads of solutions are presented, but there's no peace. It is a place of mocking. Of insulting, of anger. You are there right now. It's the internet, it's Facebook, it's YouTube, it's Reddit, it's Twitter. It's not really Instagram um, because that's just sort of pictures of breakfasts and, and selfies and stuff like that, but it's everywhere else. I mean, those aren't bad places in themselves. Facebook, YouTube, Reddit, Twitter, Instagram are all all incredibly useful, amazing, great fun. And I don't think it's necessarily the fault of the people who made those things. But what they have done is they've made humanity louder. And it turns out humanity is pretty rubbish. You Want some proof? Check out the comments under a, a news article online they will be dripping with fear. Some will have accusations of slander and all sorts of conspiracy theories. Some will have some constructive solutions proposed, and then the same person who made those solutions will spend a while insulting anyone who finds anything wrong with any of his uh, solutions. No, this is a place where there is no joy. There's no gentleness, there's no peace, there's no chill. But you want to know who the worst offenders are? So often, it's us. Because you see, on the internet, Christians are mocked. If you go on the internet, you're going to see stuff that makes you shudder. You're going to see stuff that hurts you to the core. You're going to see the cross laughed at. You're going to see Christian values presented as violent and dangerous. You know, and what happens? Christians rise up in righteous anger and they criticise right back. They refuse to listen. They make blind assumptions. They insult. I've seen, I've seen this in real life, but never more so than on the Internet. Across the Internet, the people of God are insulted and they respond in kind, pouring out their pain through the keyboards. They isolate themselves into bubbles, and instead of building each other up, or calming each other down, or pointing each other to Christ, they rant and they rave about the world's, you know, decadence. Now the world is decadence, we all know that, you know. It's full of stupid stuff and people doing stupid things. But for some reason on the internet, Christians have decided that they're going to sort it all out, with a particularly bitter and angry comment. You guys are online right now, okay? You'll probably be online after the service. You've probably checked your phone at some point in the sermon. Don't worry, you know, I can't see you, this is pre-recorded, but I know you will have, I probably will have, and I'm the one preaching. So when you see this stuff crop up online, when you see Christians insulted, How will you reply? Will you join in the chorus of the hateful? Will you you reply with an insult? Or will you do the unexpected? Will you become? Will you be reasonable? Will you pray, trusting that God has got this? God will fix this, not you. And will you give a joyful and gentle response? I do not mean that you should try uh, and hide the truth. I do not mean that you should let things slide. If I thought that, then I would be a hypocrite. I do not even ask that you stop getting angry, because sometimes, you know, anger is justified, uh, even though, you know, we rarely use it well. All that I am asking is that you respond with the dignity of one of God's people. Convinced of his power and overjoyed that he is coming back. Believe in his return and trust in his power over all things. I urge you to turn your mind to Christ. He is returning to change this world so you can afford to feel joy in the darkest of situations. He is returning uh, and he is going to fix all this rubbish. So you can get away with being gentle in the face of opposition. And he is still powerful. So you can take the fear you feel and you can lay it at his feet. Amen.